Torah portion of the week is Beshalach. It describes the splitting of the Red Sea, the crossing of the Red Sea. This was the moment that everything changed. A new world was dawning. Pharaohs would not disappear from the earth. Alas, tyrants would appear in each and every generation. But from the moment that the last Jew reached the other side of the Sea of Reeds, never again could the strong and powerful claim divine favor to subjugate and oppress. God is not on the side of the so-called master races. Forevermore, slavery, subjugation, and repression would be crimes not only against humanity, but against God himself. The key verse is this. Vayavo v'nei Yisrael betoch hayam b'yabasha v'amayim lahem choma miminam u'mismolam. And the children of Israel went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The sages equated this passage to a rebirth. The walls formed a corridor, a kind of birth canal, pointing only one way to the side of freedom. Once the water broke, the birth could not be stopped. When Pharaoh and his savages leapt into this canal of freedom, there was no way out for them. God would not allow the genocidal army to reach freedom's shore, and they could not return to Egypt because the corridor was too narrow. To disrupt the birth of freedom is to seal your own doom. After the exodus, never again could we ignore the plight of the oppressed. Every Jew must consider themselves as if they personally were a slave in Egypt. We cannot turn away. We must not only imagine but remember what it was like to flee centuries of oppression and seek refuge somewhere else. We must consider the dispossessed, the refugee fleeing war and violence, who shows up on our doorstep with nothing but the clothes on his back and the scars in her heart that will never fully heal. We must consider this person a moral and intellectual being, as worthy as we are, and equal in the sight of God. That's the whole point of the biblical account of the Exodus. Otherwise, the Torah would not have started there. The Torah would have started at Mount Sinai. The central narrative of Judaism is the slaves were freed and their dignity restored. Now, I'm not speaking politics about America's broken immigration system or the wisdom of intervention in foreign conflicts. Your views on these matters are as good as mine and, in fact, in some cases, much better. I'm speaking religion. Religion demands responsibility and moral accountability. 
What should we do? How should you respond when someone shows up on your doorstep broken and in need of compassion? And what is the price to your own soul of turning away? Look at this person. Do not turn away. See what can happen to a human being who is smitten and blasted. How they can be reduced to supplicants. Their dignity and pride shredded and torn. But not only that. Remember how they can recover and rebuild their lives if offered human warmth, respect, and opportunity. We recovered, and we do not need to look so far back into antiquity. It is enough to research three or four generations of our own family trees. Most of us became what we became because someone in our family escaped persecution and was offered a helping hand coming here with nothing. That we are now comfortable and safe is not because we are morally superior to or smarter than the dispossessed human being on our doorstep. Their sunken eyes and weary limbs hinting at the unspeakable sufferings they endured. It is not that we decided for ourselves who would be our parents, where we would be born, or how we would be raised. We were supported by countless others. There is no such thing as standing upright. There is only being held up. Jews have a special obligation to protect the weak. History has cast us into the role of perpetual wanderers, the wandering Jews. We are a refugee people. We know what it feels like. We are, or should be, especially sensitive to the well-off turning their backs on human suffering, unwilling to stare it in the face or only pretending to care. We know what it feels like to be uprooted. We know what it feels like to be dislocated. We know what it feels like to be exiled, to be scorned and hated. We know the loneliness, the sadness, the emptiness that never fully disappears. That's what drove our synagogue to visit Greece and Germany in 2017 and to visit Poland and the Ukrainian border last year. Our purpose in traveling as a community was to bring comfort, warmth, and supplies, vital resources to shattered souls who fled our era's most savage oppressors. And when the rape of Ukraine finally ends, I will ask you again, like last year, to drop whatever you are doing and return with me to that part of the world. Only next time we'll fly directly to Kiev and offer whatever measures of compassion and humanity we can bring to assist in the decades-long recovery mission.
When I think of this week's Torah portion, I often recall that synagogue mission to Greece six years ago. Was anybody, is anybody here who was on that mission? Oh yeah. You remember we stood on the shores of Lesbos, 14 miles from Turkey. Waves of desperate men, women, and children clamored to reach this beach exactly where we were standing, many drowning in the strait or close to the shore. Many others were rescued. Their saviors among the most admirable souls our species can produce. People like the activists of Natan, who we will meet after services, aid workers, and first responders who left their comfortable jobs and their comfortable homes ever ready to wade into the ocean and risk their lives to save the desperate and the drowning. The other shore, Turkey's shore, was the last cruel leg of a long, cruel journey. Those fleeing the despot of Damascus, the imams of Iran, ISIS of Iraq, anarchists of Afghanistan, most often made their way to Turkey through harrowing nighttime escapes. They spent whatever resources they had on smugglers. And somehow, they made it within eyeshot of Greece. So many who journeyed with them were no more. They died along the way. Some never journeyed. Their short lives snuffed out by the long reach of murderers. Lesbos is 14 miles away. You can see it from Turkey. Lesbos is Europe. Lesbos is freedom. Lesbos is never having to worry about chemical attacks ever again. Never having to face religious persecution. Never having to hear explosions in the morning or a knock at the door at night. And I thought of our own people standing on slavery's shores. Behind them, oppression. In front of them, the sea. On the horizon was freedom. The last cruel leg of a long, cruel journey of escape. On the shores of Lesbos, I imagine those refugees taking the first steps into the ocean, hoping for a modern-day miracle, that the seas would split and the waters part. In the Torah, God awaited on the other side. In our times, God's messengers awaited good people who were there only to save them. If only the refugees could reach as far as the rescuers could grasp. Their crossing was unnecessarily perilous. Craven smugglers who demanded the last pennies of a lifetime of savings from the wretched and the forlorn 
packed three times as many people onto the rickety boats as they could safely hold. They told the panicked masses, you see that island over there, 14 miles away? That's Europe. Go and sail. You are on your own now. The boats were so flimsy that the smugglers didn't even want them back. Either they would hold together for one more 14-mile crossing, or they would sink on the way. Some boats were floating tombs, smugglers knowingly filling only half a tank of fuel, enough to get the boats halfway, seven miles to freedom. Why waste money on refugees? They are the forgotten refuse of the world. If somehow they reach the other side, fine. If not, who cares? It's not my problem. I was paid. There is an endless stream of desperation right behind them. This is who we are. This is human nature, unchanged since ancient times. On one shore of humanity is the beauty of the world, the paragon of animals, noble in reason, infinite in faculties, in form and moving, how express and admirable, in station, how like an angel, in apprehension, how like a god. On the other shore, even heaven cannot penetrate the blanket of the dark to cry, hold, hold. We met a Yazidi young man so traumatized by his period of a captivity in ISIS and his subsequent escape that he could not even be in the same room with us as he told his story. He wrote it down beforehand. And a staff member of the camp read it to us aloud. In Germany, we met several Yazidi refugees now resettled. One was a young woman who was a slave of ISIS. What she endured was obvious. She didn't have to spell it out. She wanted to meet, to tell her story. She told it in three-word sentences, her eyes cast downward, expressing agonies that would never vanish. This is who we are. This is human nature, unchanged since ancient times. But we are also those who waited on the other side, on freedom's shores. They, too, told harrowing stories of rescue and daring, wading into the ocean to pluck the floundering from the jaws of death. They recounted how they left high-paying, high-flying jobs to attend to the lowest of human beings. Jewish sages asked why God chose to put the divine presence in the burning thorn bush, that 
ugly, stout shrub. Why not some majestic oak, they asked, or cedar of Lebanon that would symbolize the majesty of God? The sages teach God put the divine presence in the lowest of trees to remind us that God is present in the lowest of human beings. There are people in our world who take that seriously. Be with them. Support them. Become one of them. Human beings suffer. They torture one another. They get hurt and get hard. No poem or play or song can fully right a wrong inflicted and endured. So hope for a great sea change on the far side of revenge. Believe that a further shore is reachable from here. Believe in miracles. That means someone is hearing the outcry and the birth cry of new life at its term. It means once in a lifetime that justice can rise up and hope and history rhyme.